hammer down and push your IndyCar to the limit. Might be one of the most dominating performances we'll see all season long. From turbochargers to tight turns, we're covering everything that's happening in the NTT IndyCar Series. Exclusive interviews with drivers, crew chiefs, and team owners discussing the IndyCar storylines that matter to you. Oh my goodness, what an incredible race, and what an incredible champion we have on our hands. Wow! This is Brick by Brick. Well, it is Wednesday night hump day. Oh yeah, and you know what that means. That means yours truly and A.J. Almendinger are with you to bring you all the latest news from the NTT IndyCar Series. But first... AJ, congratulations, man. Right off the bench, and you go out and proceed to be victorious at a worn-out old mile-and-a-half racetrack in Atlanta in the Xfinity Series. Good job out of you. Well, I'm a quick learner. Um, you know, in <laughs> just, just over 375 career oval starts, I got it done. So I take it in pretty quick and, and uh, you know, just 14 years later, make it happen. But uh, all kidding aside, really – Special day. I mean, no practice. So the college racing Chevys that I've been able to drive over the last couple of races, I mean, they're so fast and, and really hats off to the crew chiefs and engineers right now, because with no practice, I mean, you're going in doing a lot of simulation, obviously, but sure. you're, you're, it's a guess too. And both of these races at Bristol and Atlanta, these cars have been so quick and it was just a matter of pacing myself, not burning the tires off. And then we got to the front pit stops were awesome. Got to the front and then uh, just ran the last 35 laps as clean and as perfect as possible. So a special day, finally get an oval victory at a place like Atlanta. And, and for Collard Racing, it was their first win on something other than a super speedway oval and, or a road course. So a uh, fun day all around. Was it a check-the-box moment for you because you had come tantalizingly close even just last year having a, your victory disallowed because of a rules infraction? Uh, from a personal standpoint, is that one now you can just kind of check off and move on to something else? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, I'm not big into checking things off the list, but that was something that was really important to me. And I, I told Matt Colleg, the team owner, and Chris Rice, the team president, I said, I want to run something other than a super speedway or a road course. You know, I want an opportunity to go out there on a noble. We originally had planned to mark for Martinsville. But that race is the second to last race in the championship. And they have two drivers, especially with the speed that they have in these race cars right now, Justin Haley and, and Ross Chastain that can possibly go win a championship. So we originally planned for Bristol after uh, Daytona didn't happen. After we failed to qualify there, we had a, a, a part failure in qualifying and, and didn't have the speed. So originally planned Bristol and then still planned Bristol once the pandemic happened. And then, Matt Collick said, man, I just want to keep racing with that 16 car. AJ, what other racetrack? I said, I don't know. Let's try Atlanta. I'm, I've been decent there in a cup car, and uh, thank goodness we did. And, and Saturday night, all of us in the IndyCar Nation were treated to the return of IndyCar uh, on a mile and a half. And uh, you were a little busy in the afternoon, but as I watched practice straight out of the box, AJ, PJ1 is not the friend <laughs> of IndyCars, is it? Well, 
the the good and bad thing is with no practice, <laughs> I had a lot of free time literally all the way up to the race at, at four thirty <laughs> Eastern of, of my race. So I got to watch practice and qualifying as well. And whoo, I I, uh, I was happy to not be in an Indy car at Texas during that practice <laughs> session think? because yeah. that PJ one and. To be completely honest, I really thought for how dark it was, I was like, wow, they resprayed the racetrack with that stuff. I said, that's yeah, I interesting. Yeah. And we, we come to find out it's just staying the racetrack. And it looked like an ice rink if they hit it. So you saw a lot of – you saw some rookies and you saw some veterans really struggling with that. And it made for a challenging race because it was tough to pass. Uh, you really had to – play out the right moment to be aggressive because you knew if you got up into that that it was going to cause an issue and uh, it made for a great race I thought but definitely allowed uh, track position to be the most critical thing of that race well it bit Renus VK in practice uh, yet again in uh, in the race itself it bit Ed Carpenter uh, Ryan Hunter Ray uh, and then after a, just a terrific drive, it looked like it was going to be a Chip Ganassi one-two finish. Felix Rosenquist, and you could see the frustration in Felix with the onboard camera. But I want to circle back to something Paul Tracy said, and, and I hadn't thought about it. And then after the race, RHR said the exact same thing. It's a natural tendency. It's inbred in a race car driver when you see darker shades of black on a racetrack. You just muscle memory-wise go to that area and don't even think about it. And, and and that was like jumping off the edge of the Grand Canyon for these guys. Yeah, and for our listeners that don't really understand what the, the PJ1 is, I mean, it's a traction compound. It's sticky. They put it down for the NASCAR races, especially on these. Uh, it started with at Bristol, and they've developed it to the ra- other racetracks. And what it's there for is to add grip to a, uh, a lane that maybe normally wouldn't run. So at Texas, after the repave, the in NASCAR, the bottom lane was the fast lane, and nobody really wanted to venture outside that bottom lane. So they started adding that to try to get cars to move up there. Well, what happens is, is you need heat and cars to run on it to build that heat. So even a, a NASCAR vehicle, when you first go up there, it takes your breath away. It is slick, yeah. it is treacherous. But once you get some cars running on it, that's when it brings that stickiness up into the surface of the racetrack and you gain grip well the indy cars a don't have the heaviness they have more downforce but they don't have the heaviness of a of a nascar vehicle so it's hard to get that up let alone nobody wanted to run up there because it was like an ice rink so i think drivers kept trying to go up there I th- at first i think it was mistakes then i think it was like okay maybe it's come in a little bit and we can use it and then they would touch it and when you're running 210 215 miles per hour it doesn't take more than a small wiggle as we saw to cause a wreck well, we're going to talk a little bit about Ed Carpenter's assessment of Renus VK, who wrecked two race cars <laughs> and as a 19-year-old rookie, having never run a circle track race. Uh, let's circle back to last week. Uh, remember when we visited with Oliver Askew? He talked about the fact that he had never made a pit stop. Well, he made his share, kept his nose clean, and by my calculations, was the only finishing rookie. So let's give a shout-out to him. And I got to go back to a rules interpretation. Remember at the end of the race, and I found myself questioning it at the time, you know, usually within the last 15 laps of a race, they move the lap traffic out of the way. And that was not the case as Simon Pagano was trying to chase down 
Scott Dixon, who who pretty much just manhandled the competition there and and his PNC Bank uh, Chip Ganassi entry. But uh, uh, and you talked to Jay Fry earlier today. There is a rule in the rule book, and I looked it up, that says that they can dispense with that, basically, if by doing that, the race is going to find itself ending under caution. So I applaud it, and I thought afterwards, you know, Simon was realistic. He said, I had nothing, had nothing for Dixon. But Pagano and, and, and uh, Joseph Newgarden, blistering right rears. What was going on with that? Well, I think we've seen that in the past there. Uh, yeah. you know, Team Penske is, is very aggressive. And I don't know, I, and I'm, this is speculation, so I'm not going to say it was camber settings or tire pressure. We don't know exactly why the reason they are blistering tires, but it's happened before. I, I remember Will Power there at Texas has struggled with it. Simon has struggled with it before. And, yes, they, uh, they were aggressive, and they were definitely the team that was struggling with blistering tires, uh, but they fought hard. I think that 35-lap limit helped them yep. because it was never really going to put them off strategy of having to do an ex- extra pit stop, so they were saved a little bit by that. And just typical Team Penske fashion, they go out there and they find a way to manufacture, even though they're struggling, two cars on the podium. Uh, but, yeah, let, let's be honest. The, the lap cars didn't cause Simon to have a to, – to really – not win that race. Scott Dixon was dominant. Uh, the only guy that maybe, maybe had a, a something for him was his teammate, Felix Rosenquist, when they got in lap traffic. But the way the race played out, Scott Dixon deserved that win. And I'm pretty sure Simon Pagano and Joseph Newgarden were just happy to finish on the podium. One other thing that I thought was really startling to me, and it just tells me that virtual racing – did not do justice to the aero screen. First of all, the challenges that the drivers faced because it was totally different. And I talked to Scott Dixon, the winner, specifically about it. And, I, and, and you want to listen up because he had some fascinating takes about the difference inside the cockpit, not just temperature, but also in that, in that sixth sense that a race car driver has. But I got to tell you, and he, you know, in the pre-race when they were doing, you know, the TV does those low, close zooms. These things look bad. And I mean bad in a good way. Holy moly. They were sleek. They were just, uh, they, to me, uh, they just screamed race car. At first when they came out with them, uh, I was like, okay, that's interesting to look at. And... Mm-hmm. Wasn't quite sure about it. Now, for safety purposes, because I've been outspoken ever since I lost one of my closest friends, Justin Wilson. Yeah. I wanted something like that. So I didn't care really how it looked. Yeah, I mean, aesthetically pleasing. I was like, I don't care. I just want it safer for these drivers. Once they got lined up and they took the green, I almost went to fighter pilot. Like, it looked like yeah, yeah. like 24 fighter, fighter jets, fighter pilots in those things, and it looked cool. But it was funny to me because certain drivers were – talking about how they really felt like it changed the handling of the race car in traffic and by itself. And other drivers said, oh, I didn't really even notice it. So it's going to take some getting used to on the oval stuff. I think on the, on the road and street courses, it's not really going to matter. Uh, and finally, uh, we were listening to the post race. Ed Carpenter had the best of times and the worst of times. As we said, he, he crashed. 
Renus VK, his teammate, crashed and then crashed again in the race. And, and I want to, I just want to give you the quote because this to me was classic. Uh, and let's remember VK, 19 years of age, having never been on a, on a super speedway or having, you know, been thrown into literally the deep end of the pool, as we say, crashed. I, I'm going to quote Carpenter's comments afterwards. It was tough. Everything I kind of asked of Renus to do, he really didn't do. I wanted him to just be patient, be careful. Last thing I told him before the race was don't go high. Stay out of the marbles. And then <laughs> Carpenter, in his understated way, said, and I quote, so we've got a little work to do there on the sponginess of him. But he can drive the car. He was coming forward in virtually no practice and never running an oval IndyCar race. He's going to get there. And here's Carpenter putting the period on it. It's just going to be challenging here at times. But we still love him. Not sure which way to take that. I mean, it was, I felt that's very, very truthful as a rookie. I can't imagine being that young going into a place at Texas with no practice, really no sim leading up to it. And that's your first oval that you have to go out there and, and get after. And especially with the PJ one that we talked about where yeah. the track was treacherous, it was hot, it was slick. And I mean, his team owner crashed in practice. Now, the race, that's a different story. That experience of Ed Carpenter, of knowing how to play the traffic game, when to make the moves, got him with a chance to go finish on the podium. But for Renus, I mean, it's, it's something you learn from. Hey, I'm a guy that crashed a lot of stuff. So uh, <laughs> I wasn't going there. See, I'm not being I, feisty I, I'll today. go there. Hey, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll be 100, 100% here. I mean, I've crashed a lot of stuff. But I always felt like, I'd rather have to learn how to slow down than to learn how to speed up. And I think what we've seen out of Renus VK leading up to this, and even in the race, because he was making moves. Yes, he was. That I would rather have a driver. Sure, it may cost. Now, I don't have to pay for it. So, as I say this, I'm a little bit one-sided. But I would rather have a driver that's getting after it and like, hey, we got to pull in the reins a little bit on him than the opposite. It's a great point. <clears throat> well, we told you, AJ got to talk to Jay Fry. Uh, IndyCar Series president. I got an opportunity to visit with our guest that's coming up on the other side. And sandwiched in between those two interviews, it's Tony Kanan's last lap. That's right. A limited schedule this year. Got a little overcome when it all hit him at Texas Motor Speedway. TK will join us during this edition of Brick by Brick. But up next, I gave him the nickname, AJ, back when he was a rookie, the Iceman. <laughs> And he has lived up to it oh, and yeah. won multiple championships. The winner of the Genesis 300 will be front and center. Scott Dixon joins us right after this. When it's time to go to the track. To the track. Yeah. Serious. Serious XM NASCAR radio's got oh, you covered. Here we go. Tune in to Serious XM NASCAR radio. Or listen on the phone when you get out of the car with the Serious XM app. We're back on the track. Wednesday. At 6 p.m. Eastern. With NASCAR Cup Series racing. Everything's happening so fast. It's the Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief 500. From Martinsville Speedway. We gotta go take it. On Serious, Serious XM NASCAR radio. Channel 90. Very, very, very well done. <laughs> 
From the green flag to the checkered flag, we're discussing the hottest topics from the NTT IndyCar Series. This is Brick by Brick. Scott Dixon, as he comes to the checkered flag, wins in Texas to kick the season off. Caution flies at the same time as the checkers. Charlie Kimball in the wall. But Dixon starts the 2020 season on a high. Fourth win here in Texas. Joining us now, the current point leader in the NTT IndyCar Series. Well, it's kind of obvious because he's the winner of the first and only race that was held Saturday night, the Genesis 300 at Texas Motor Speedway. Scott Dixon. Scott, from a TV's perspective, it looked easy. How about inside the cockpit? Uh, it's, it's never easy, man. There was uh, multiple times during the race where it just, uh, you know, the, the car, the balance changes quite a bit. And I, th- I think especially when you're going from, uh, you know, day to night, you know, Texas is always a bit tricky. Uh, and also in the fact that, you know, we, we there wasn't really that many miles put on the track before we actually got to the race. You know, sometimes you have a lot more, you know, practice sessions and, and uh, you know, able to try and wear the car out. Plus the addition of, you know, the aero screen. Um, you know, which actually in traffic was a little bit different to drive than what we'd previously kind of had, you know, for, for me, normally, you know, you get a lot of wash out, the car wants to, you know, head towards the wall, but, uh, it seemed like with the aero screen, at least from my point of view, that once you started to get close, the car would actually get a little bit loose, which I think mm. bodes really well, actually, for like Indy 500 and a lot of those tracks that we're going to come to, and hopefully the same on the road course where, um, at least for me, it seemed like I could run close and, and try and pull off these passes, but, uh, yeah, it was awesome, and the, the PNC Bank number nine was definitely hooked up. It was kind of in its own class, which was uh, which is nice when you're driving it. You know, the track itself, uh, a, a lot of talk about the quote-unquote PJ1 NASCAR application in the corners. Uh, during practice and again in qualifying, we saw Takuma lay it into the, into the safer barrier. And during the course of the race, it looked like he had to be braver than Dick Tracy to go up into the dark. Yeah, I think it depended, like, you know, when, when the first few laps, like, we, we dropped back a couple of times, right? We had a bit of a, a snafu in the pits there and, and dropped back to third, but, you know, I was able to, you know, pass Felix on the outside and one and then also get, you know, uh, Joseph, um, you know, around the outside and one later on uh, to, to regain the lead. Uh, and even, you know, in, in, in traffic, you know, we, we, we our car was really good kind of off of two, so we were able to get to the throttle and, and keep the car low and, and, you know, pass a lot of people going into three. Uh, with, with lap traffic, um, you know, and then some of the points there were just kind of, you know, we had some pretty big leads, so we would just kind of sit and, and, and hang out. Um, I think a lot of people kind of want that second lane to, to really come in, and um, it's hard to know because when you talk to, I've got some, you know, uh, cup friends and, and, and base, it sounds like you kind of have to activate that stuff, yeah. you know, you kind of have to run yeah. in a little bit. And, you know, I think when it's the first race back, everybody's just wanting to get to the, you know, to the end of the race. And uh, <laughs> nobody was quite game enough, I think, to run up there. But uh, when we did it, it, it worked okay. But I think to, to really get it to work, I think we need to have like a dedicated practice session maybe before the race and just run that second lane and get that stuff really coming. IndyCar issued like a 30 plus page directive with, you know, all of the things that were expected of the drivers, the crews, the officials, et cetera, temperature checks, et cetera, both in Indianapolis and then on site. Uh, what sort of grade, Scott, would you give IndyCar and the officials? Because they learned from the NASCAR experience and made the one day affair. I thought it was very, very efficient. Yeah, I think they did a, a fantastic job. You know, the NTT IndyCar series were very proactive. And, and, you know, the thing I liked about it too was that, 
you know, NASCAR and IndyCar were working together on this. You know, they, they uh, obviously we were just following a lot of the rules that they had already set out and, and maybe a 50 page document that they had, or I don't know how big it was, but it was pretty big. But we've got to be cautious, right? You know, they've at least had to, uh, or been able to run, you know, several races before we got to our first one. And, and it looked like they had done an amazing job. So, you know, uh, they were definitely a, a great entity to, to follow in the steps of and, and work well with. And, um, I give them a 10 out of 10, you know, we, we even went to the extent of, you know, splitting our plane. Like we took two planes for the whole team and said, you know, we'd, we'd quite happily and easily fit on one of them. Um, you know, so there, there was definitely some added expense, but, you know, I think when you get given this opportunity, you know, we're all very lucky and very privileged to be able to go back racing and go back to doing what we love. And, and especially for, you know, our sponsors and partners and everybody involved. So, um, it was, it was, it was good. It felt strange. Uh, felt very weird, you know, not being able to shake hands or, you know, give people hugs that you haven't seen for a long time and, and situations like that. But uh, right now, this is uh, this is what's normal. Yeah, I saw an awkward moment when Eddie Gossage with the mask on in victory lane and uh, you weren't quite sure whether to give him an elbow, a pump, a fist. But uh, look, we, we're all dealing with with the, the relative unknown. And uh, certainly we all hope that that fans will be able to finally come out of their homes and attend motorsports events. It won't be on the case of the 4th of July at Indianapolis. And I'll get to that in a moment, but I want to circle back as we continue our discussion here with the Texas winner, Scott Dixon uh, from Ganassi racing, driving the PNC bank special number nine, uh, the arrow screen in you gave me an idea of what it felt like arrow wise, but what about inside the cockpit, Paul Tracy uh, and, and T bell mentioned that, one of the things that drivers, and I know even when I fooled around with race cars, you learned a lot by listening. You knew what was on the outside or what was going on, and now you're more enclosed. Has that reduced the, the, the noise variable inside the cockpit? It does. It, it, changes, it changes it a lot, man. And, and, and it, was, it was kind of weird the first time or the first couple of times you get to drive the car. And then even, you know, I was at the gym this morning with, with Kanan, and that was the first time he'd actually run one. I think actually at all. I don't know if he'd done any of the testing because he didn't do the preseason testing on the road mm -hmm. courses. And he was like, oh, it's just so quiet. And it, and it is. like You you can just about hear yourself speaking when you're keying up on the radio, which is totally bizarre. You know, normally the, the wind <laughs> and all the outside noise, it's almost like you can hear the tires squealing now. So it uh, it is quite, it's quite eerie as well in, in, in that situation. And, and you actually hear more things, I think, now uh, just because you don't have the, the wind noise. But also... Uh, one of the biggest things I found is like how much easier it is to move your head around, you know, when you're, you're kind of uh, above, you know, 200 miles an hour, the helmet's getting pushed back quite a lot. It's quite heavy. Uh, the G-forces plus the, the wind that's pushed on you at, you know, at those speeds, you know, really um, make it quite difficult to, to move your head in, in the loading. So, you know, uh, it's, it's actually got a little bit easier, but then it, it, taking the focus off your neck, you actually felt how hard it was to turn the wheel. Like at least mm. in our case, the, the weight of the wheel felt very heavy. So, yeah, it's um, very strange. I think, you know, um, into 10 car series knocked it out of the park. You know, we, it was our first race with the arrow screen. Uh, it was the first night race. It uh, was a first for a lot of people in the series to, to get behind the wheel and be in, in any situation like that. Um, you know, it was definitely pretty hot as well on the weekend. Uh, but the helmet cooling and everything worked really well. So it's... Uh, it was good, man. The tear offs. I think I went through about four or five tear offs on on the arrow screen during the race. Every pit stop, we took one off, and and they worked uh, seamlessly. And and uh, yeah, it was it was pretty sweet. Well, in that starting field, and it's hard to believe because maybe I'm dating myself, Dixie. But 
I remember when you were a young gun and were tagged mm. with the nickname Iceman. Now mm. you and 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 Kanan and several others, you're you're the you're the veterans. I won't say aging veterans, but can you recall a period in time when there are as many twenty something, even nineteen something drivers filling the field in an NTT IndyCar Series event? I don't know. I think it is kind of the norm. I think it, I think it's just us old boys reflecting a little bit different. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Like you know, TK TK's in his own league. What's he? Forty-five or forty-six? Or forty-five. So I'm 30, yeah. <laughs> I'm only thirty-nine. You know. So uh, actually, I've got my big four-zero coming up, which is you know going to be uh, you know fun and interesting all on its own. But um, yeah, it's it's great to see. You know, it's it is definitely uh, changing the guards. You know, and and uh, even people like Marco, who I used to regard as you know a young person, is is you know kind of that middle aged guy now. You know, so it's uh, it's definitely uh, it's fun to see. You know, I think the rookies had it so tough. You know, this weekend. Yeah. You know, the, the veterans definitely had uh, an advantage of having been there before, and and you know all the differences that go in and out of our racing. But um, yeah, it's good to see this young talent coming through. Uh, the competition that we saw in, in preseason testing from from these young guns uh, looks really cool, man. So you know the the future is definitely bright for Indica. So you win the race, you go home, you 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 play with your kids, you hug Emma, back to being a house father. What's been the most challenging thing for you is uh, I, I, I'm hoping that Emma is doing the homeschooling in the in the pre kindergarten era, uh, and, and not necessarily you. But you know, what's the home life been like for you? Uh, it's been pretty good. I think the hardest thing getting back from Texas was trying to trying to find room in my own bed. I got home and Emma's in there with the, the two the two girls, the dogs. There. I had to go upstairs and sleep in the spare room, man. So it wasn't uh, wasn't much of a welcoming at three in the morning. But it's uh, the, the actual downtime with quarantine has has been really nice to kind of reconnect. You know, the, their school they go to the international school here in Indianapolis. They're in French immersion, so they're, they're, the the class sizes are quite small. There's only ten or eleven, so. You know, their video conferencing stuff has worked really well. I think if it's bigger classes, it gets quite tough. But, you know, they've been in class from 8.30 to 3 every day. Uh, but today, Monday, is uh, is actually uh, their first, uh, first day of summer. So I'm just um, just up at the local barn up here. They're actually getting their riding lessons in. I've been, you know, helping them tack up the horses. And, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I think we're going to try and go to a national park here. We're going to try and do national uh, Zion National Park uh, maybe in a couple of weeks. You know, hopefully if that's... Uh, if we're able to do that uh, easily with travel and, and uh, accommodations and things out there. But um, yeah, you know, the kids have been great. It's been awesome to have this time at home with uh, our, what, well, he's almost six months old coming up here in, in a week or two. You know, Kit's been doing awesome. So it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's almost four weeks until you get back in the cockpit and that'll be on the, uh, the road course at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And you'll be doing double, not double duty, but it'll be a double header uh, first time in history, it'll be, uh, a, you know, a NASCAR Cup and Xfinity Series race, the Xfinity Series sharing the road course with you. Uh, how excited are you to be able to showcase what you do to, uh, you know, a, a, an entire population of motorsports people, many of whom you know very, very uh, closely, show them up close and personal what you do in an open cockpit car? I think it's awesome, man. I, you know, the only downside is that it's taken so 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 long for this to happen, you know. And and uh, I think with the likes of you know Roger and and obviously uh, you know his group, um, you know, taking over Nikar, I think a lot of those you know situations might be a lot more frequent, which would be great to see. And 
And I think more so when we're able to have fans, you know, uh, they just announced that their weekend's not going to have fans, which is which is frustrating for a lot yeah. of people. I think that yeah. would have been really cool to be a part of that first event when we're going, uh, you know, back to back or on Saturday there on, on Sunday. I think actually the Xfinity is maybe right after our race, you know, Saturday, Saturday evening. So uh, definitely excited, you know, for, for, for that to occur. Um, you know, it'd be fun to, you know, maybe catch up with, with uh, you know, some of, some of my friends from that series and, and obviously a lot of teammates uh, and crew from, from Ganassi. Um, but it'll be interesting too to see. It looks like that's going to be quite segmented, you know, in, in which areas you can cross into and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it's a great start. Again, it's unfortunate it's not going to be attended by fans, yeah. but, uh, you know, we'll keep working at it and hopefully put on a great show for everyone. Hey, listen, it's been a real treat. It's been very cool. Uh, good to catch up with you. Congratulations on the on the new baby, bouncing baby boy. Congratulations on the win, and uh, go get him in four weeks, Scott Dixon. Thanks, man. I can't wait. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Good to see you. See you soon. AJ Almendinger and Jack Aroop with you on this edition of Brick by Brick. And AJ, uh, there's a movie uh, called League of Their Own when Tom Hanks, the manager, says to the female baseball players, "There's no crying in baseball." Well, I think we ought to just transition that for our next guest who got a little teary-eyed when he started his last lap at Texas Motor Speedway. Tony Kanan is with us now. TK, there's no crying in auto racing. That is none, but uh, I'm pretty sure uh, AJ and I can lie to you and say we never did, but inside the helmet, <laughs> you guys can't see it. Yeah, there's no crying. There's no crying, but there's a lot of whining. Here. Correct. Correct. <laughs> I mean, a ton of whining. TK, I mean, finished top 10, got a top 10 there at Texas, but that track looks sketchy. Uh, I was watching practice, sitting, wait, waiting in Atlanta for the Xfinity race, and uh, I'll be honest, I was happy I wasn't out there with you guys because yeah, it, it, it looked hairy. It, I got a few messages from a few friends of ours that used to race Indy cars, and they said, good luck but I'm not jealous. I mean, AJ, <laughs> yeah. you, 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 granted, right, we're all happy that we're back. I'm, I'm pretty sure that I wouldn't trade for anything. Give me even worse conditions than that. But for me personally, I was out of the car since October last year. So eight months. Never had driven the car with the windscreen. Didn't know what to expect. So I got there. We had an hour and 20-minute session, but three crashes, so it became 35-minute sessions. You have to figure out the race car, and the qualifying car because it was in parked for May, so you could not change the setup between qualifying race. So I've never felt so awkward in a race car. Then you you add 135 degrees track temp, all the heat. The track was completely green. Nobody had run the track. So usually, you know, when you come on a normal week and you have two days preparing, testing, this and that. Anyway, it was the most slipperiest, hottest, hotter, and the worst probably situation I've ever been to it. But I was happy. I mean, as a team, I think we improved a lot. I mean, there is no way last year we didn't even were in the top 17 last year. We mm. qualified in the top 10. We had a couple hiccups in the race. We had a little bit of a, we had a pit lane speed limit violation with the two-stage pit lane speed limit. We didn't have a time to dial in as much, so we kind of overshot a bit on that. A track that was tough to pass, we still finished 10th, and Charlie was running actually pretty strong. So, very promising, but I have to say, we whined a lot. And if it was in a normal situation, I would be whining until today how bad that was. <laughs> you know, the one upside, though, even though there were no fans, TK, is the NBC television coverage in primetime on the mothership 
How about this? The largest non-Indy 500 IndyCar audience since 2016. And in 16, it was the Texas opener. So uh, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I think that that's what's going to pay long-term dividends. And uh, despite the fact that you guys were trying to ride a bucking Bronco on that racetrack, (laughs) you, you, you talked about the track temperature. Marty did it on NBC, had a little little thermometer and was checking during practice. The cockpit temperatures with that aero screen. Now, you do have some air, you know, coming into your helmet, but uh, what, were, what were your change in perceptions being strapped in the car with the aero screen? Actually, it was much quieter. Um, mm. I think, uh, you know, that was it, really. Just no wind. The noise was a lot slower and no, no head buffering, which actually is quite nice. But on the downside, it was the hottest thing I've ever driven in my entire life. You know, AJ can talk to about the NASCAR guys, but they have this cooling system, not just the air vent. They right. have all those shirts. We have no room for that stuff. So our vent's this small. I'm telling you, that thing does nothing. I'm glad that I work out as much as I do. Uh, I'm glad that I'm, I'm, I was ready for the heat, but... I lost four pounds, actually, wow. by the time we finished the race. Well, I can't really talk about the cooling shirt. I was never on teams that, that gave me that type of stuff. So. Here we go. So uh, see, do you want yeah. some cheese so, I mean, to go with that you know, wine, AJ? Yeah, I'll take, all the wine. I'll take all the wine I can get. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, but TK, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not sure with the pandemic if, if it changed, but you're still planning to run all the ovals. Correct. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm running yeah. all the ovals, all five, okay. all the five ovals that we're doing. Yeah. So with that said, I mean, you're you're on your your retirement tour here, or at least full time. So full time, full time. Don't retire your, me, please. I'm 38 <laughs> years old, trying to figure out what I want to do in life. So what are your plans after this year? Have you thought much about it? Yeah, I mean, obviously we started the the farewell tour, whatever the full time, and people. That's the question that people ask me all the time. I don't have. And as you know, we as drivers, we don't have the luxury to say this is what we're going to do unless somebody has hired us already. But there is a few things that I would love to do, and it's on the process. Um, some broadcasting stuff, uh, obviously, with the Indy Lights not racing this year. I was going to do all the Indy Lights broadcast this year. That's something that I enjoy. Some of the American Le Mans Series races that I've done in the past, the long, the long races at 24 Hours of Daytona, Sebring, and that's something that's on the works for the future. Right now, we were on talks, but then everybody put a stop on it because sure. nobody knows what's going to happen. Honestly, believe it or not, uh, some truck races. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So, uh, and, and honestly, AJ, I'm open to anything. I, I, I'm glad that I had the career that I had and I got to a point that uh, I'm not giving up IndyCar. I'm still probably going to be doing the next two or three years. I'll be doing the Indy 500 only. And maybe, I don't know, maybe the Texas race. You know, there are always some of my sponsors are still very interested for me to be doing two or three races a year. That is no way I'm going to do a full time again in IndyCar. So, and that opens up for everything, right? I've been talking to Kyle Bush about it. We did talk about it years ago. Uh, I have no desire to jump into a cup car right away because I think that that will be diabolical for me i mean it, it's it's something that i would like to go through if 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 that's going to happen i would like to go through the ladder and then learn a little bit more not to put myself in the spot but i wanted to enjoy and like i said i was fortunate enough to have a long career that maybe for the first time in 23 years i can sit back and say all right what am i doing and, sure. and, and like you said the hardest thing for me right now is to figure out what i want to do 
That's what you just said. You're 38. I'm 45. It's like, what's next? We live this 24-7, really intense. We, we, we wake up thinking about racing. We go to bed thinking about racing. So I, I also think I will take a little bit of time, which we already did because for the first six months of this year, we did nothing to figure out if there is a life after racing as well. TK, you know, maybe you can, you can uh, pigeonhole my co-host and he can call colleague and uh, see if he maybe get a couple of one-offs on the whoa, Xfinity. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh. I'm, I'm, I'm take still trying job. to work here. Come on, man. <laughs> see? See what happens? You know who your friends are, right, TK? Yeah, well, there let's back it down a little bit. He's no, but friends, are friends. friends don't take each other's job. Yeah, yeah. yeah good, cool. good point. I, I, I must say, when I saw you on pit road during practice, and it had to be, it, it had to be something that just touched your heart, decked out in the 7-Eleven garb. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, it was a page from the past. And in fact, just so you know, I went and I tried to find and I located a photo back in a day, as Chocolate Myers on the NASCAR channel says. Dude, you haven't changed. The nose is still as damn big as it always was. <laughs> I mean, that, but that's a good thing because here's the thing. What I've heard is the only things that don't stop growing in your body once you get old are three, but I can only say two on air. <laughs> it's your ears, your nose, and something else. So if my nose is the same size, I'm okay because we're talking about 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah. But honestly, Jack, I mean, there was a great surprise from 7-Eleven. They've been good partners uh, of, my, of mine for so long. They became, after they left, they became my personal sponsor. I'm an ambassador for them. And, and Joe, the Pinto, the CEO said, no, for the Texas race, we got to come back with the retro. And I mean, look at, look at how things are, right? We, we, we had this deal done probably in December last year. And with all the pandemic, we didn't know if the race was going to happen. And then you go, and we had a, we were going to bring more than uh, 50 veterans to the race. Uh -huh. It was like, so then it goes, no crowd. And then I'm thinking, well, Joe's going to bail. Joe's going to bail. And he never did. And luckily, honestly, I think they got a really good uh, coverage. I mean, it was, you know, I was on NBC quite a bit because it was my last race there. The viewers, I mean, it, it ended up that they, uh, they got a pretty, uh, I, I text him afterwards to say that was a cheap deal, wasn't it? He's like, well, you gotta, you gotta be lucky. <laughs> Listen, well, it was great to see you continue your consecutive start streak. It was great to well, see. Well, yeah, that's it though. That's it. Yeah, I, mean, I get it, but that's okay. But it was also even better to see AJ Foyt racing, uh, step up you and Charlie Kimball. Really, you can, you can tell the difference. Uh, but more importantly, it's great to have you with us today on brick by brick. Uh, stay safe. And, uh, you know, hey, get all the – never mind. I, I won't try and take Dinger's ride away from him. Uh, hey, Dinger, let's do this. He's trying to take your ride away. How about this? Maybe you and I start a show, a radio hey, show. How about hey, that? Hey, hey. I'm already well, – yeah. I'm what already you talking done about, Willis? I, I, I had to do a Jay Fry interview solo. Come on, TK. Call me. Call me. You know how much more pool we would have, you know, TK oh, and yeah. Jay. Wow. Yeah. Wow. We'll talk about it offline. I like there it, man. Go. I'm yeah. down. See you, boys. Well, you heard them talk about it as I look for a new job. Coming up next, AJ did speak with Jay Fry solo. You'll be able to hear it right after this.
The Ak and Barack Show. Iron Mike Tyson, iconic name, gave us the knee post on Instagram and Twitter. No caption needed. I mean, I, I like Mike's opinion. I would love to hear him speak on it, but I appreciate the post. I think a caption is so important. Being kneeled says it all, you know, but uh, people want to hear your words. People want to know what's, what's on your mind, Mike. You know, you're such an iconic figure. Uh, we love to hear you speak. Weekdays from 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation, channel 156. Welcome back to the only weekly NTT IndyCar Series talk show on Sirius XM. This is Brick by Brick. We continue with Brick by Brick. I'm Jack Arud along with my co-host, A.J. Allmendinger. Earlier, I was fortunate enough to have Jay Fry, the president of the NTT IndyCar Series, stop by and talk all things IndyCar. Jay, what a long off offseason. Uh, felt like it took forever to finally get to Texas and uh, a, a condensed one-day show that it seemed like you guys were there for almost 24 hours straight. So give me your thoughts on how it all went down in Texas. I've never personally participated in a 24-hour event. But this one, it actually it was one. By the time you know we people left that morning and got back the next morning, you know it was a a great effort by our entire paddock to get us to that point. It was you know a couple months of planning to get us to, to where we were at, from our COVID plan to think of it. It was the first race for the new aero screen to you know we had the the, the stint limits on the tires to different things that we did. Firestone did a great job. So it was a collective effort by lots of different people. Um, you know, our drivers, our teams, you know, we've had team manager calls, you know, weekly basically since St. Pete to keep everybody updated to, to you know, understand the process and where we were going next and what we we're going to do. So, um, all in all, a successful event. Um, we appreciate NBC and everything they did, you know, Saturday night. So, you know, we're looking forward to uh, the Brickyard coming up next. Yeah, speaking of that on NBC, uh, originally the, the race was going to be put on NBCSN and NBC moved at to their primetime network at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern on, on Saturday night. So looking at the TV ratings, you had 1.2 million viewers. It was the highest rated Texas race since, I think, 2013. Were you pleased with those results? Did you expe- expect more, expect less, or, or were you happy with uh, all the viewership that was on NBC that yeah. night? Well, NBC is a great partner. Uh, we certainly appreciate what they did. You know, you obviously always want to be better, and you always want to do different things. It's funny, you know, it's a great number, and we're really excited about the, the ratings and again their partnership and all they do. It still was a, it's still strange, you know, um, that not having fans. I mean, you know, fans are such a huge part of what we do, and that was our obviously first event this year, and our first go around not having fans. So it was kind of an eerie feeling, and, you know, again, you know, we can't thank our fans enough. We can't tell how much we appreciate them. Um, it was just very strange. We're having this really cool event on NBC, launching our season in a big way, and, you, you know, you grid the cars and you look up and there's nobody there. You know, it just, it's just a very surreal or kind of unusual feeling. So we're, you know, real excited at some point when we get the fans back and, you know, get, again, looking forward to the rest of our season. Yeah, I mean, speaking about the season, looking at the 2020 schedule, uh, I believe there's 14 races total right now as you have planned. There's a, a couple of doubleheaders, Road America and Iowa and, and Laguna Seca being doubleheader events. Uh, do you feel like the schedule is set right now? Are you still trying to add races? Do you expect maybe uh, some to go away? Or where's your, your thoughts right now on, on what the 2020 schedule looks like? Well, that's a great question. It's 
you know, again, over the last couple of months, it's, it's really felt like Groundhog Day, right? That you, um, you, know, you, you go home at night or you put your stuff away at night and you feel good about what you did that day and you feel good about your plan. You come in the next morning and your plan's got to start all, all over again because, uh, you know, something's happened. So obviously it's still very fluid. Um, the new normal is nothing's normal. Um, we feel good about where we're at. Um, we feel good about the cadence. So we had, you know, Texas, we, we got a few weeks off, then we'll go three in a row. We feel good about the next three in a row, which is you here at IMS, um, Road America, and um, Iowa. And then we got another couple-week break in there before we go to mid-Ohio. So we're kind of bucketing the events together and kind of operating in a certain way at each one. So we'll operate at um, the Brickyard, Road America, and Iowa, very similar that we did at Texas from a paddock perspective. Um, a lot of our uh, procedures that we had in place we'll, we'll do again. So hopefully by the time, you know, we get through Iowa, which is – seven, eight weeks away, um, you know, things will be really changing in a, in a different way and, and we'll be able to get back to more normal. Yeah, during the pandemic uh, and speaking with different teams and, and obviously I'm really close friends with Michael Shank, as a company, as IndyCar itself, between Roger Penske, yourself, the whole series, what did you guys do to really keep some of these teams afloat? Because we know that sponsorship money is so important to them and, and the way you have sponsorship money is being on the racetrack. So how were you able to help these race teams stay alive, especially the smaller ones that, that need all the help that they can get uh, when they're not on track? Yeah, well, that's a, a great question. You know, Rogers, you know, obviously a phenomenal individual, um, you know, been in this sport for many, 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 many years from all different aspects of the business, right? From a team perspective, an owner perspective, a driver perspective. So uh, there were some things that we were able to do to, you know, throughout the process that although we hadn't started racing, we acted like we did, you know, with some of our, our, our leader circles and things like that. So, um, you know, it's still food on what's going to happen next. Now it's all going to work. But, um, you know, the teams were, you know, part of me coming from a team perspective, you, they were able to plan and they were able to understand what we were doing and how we were going to go forward. So um, it was a huge, huge deal from him, a huge impact from him already on the, the paddock and the way it's working. So I know they were very thankful of that. And again, now that we can start rolling again a little bit and get more of our routine, I think it'll, you know, sort itself out, you know, like it normally would. Again, and from a team perspective, like I mentioned, we, we talk to the teams every week or we were through that process um, to let them know what we were doing, what was possible, what could be next, you know, from events to uh, procedures. One of the things we're working on hard right now is to kind of blend the 20 and 21 season together from a technical perspective. So, you know, next year's updates will be very minimal. Um, actually, this year's updates were very minimal if you took away the aero screen. Um, so it's it, it's kind of, this will be a couple-year recovery, I'm sure, for our industry, if not more. And we've got to be conscious of that. Economics have always mattered. Um, we think we've got a good, you know, good plan in place, our five-year plan. We don't obsolete parts and pieces. The teams know where we're going and what we're doing, and we've got to be extra conscious of that right now with, with the, what's all going on in the world. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt like just talking with some of the, the organizations in IndyCar and, and these race teams that everything that yourself, Roger Penske, really did to, to help them stay afloat was a big deal, and, and we know for sure in this pandemic any help is needed. <laughs> Uh, you know, talking about fans not being at the racetrack, I've had to experience it over the last couple of weeks doing the Xfinity races. It is definitely strange. We want the fans back as soon as possible. But Roger Penske is very outspoken about the Indy 500, wanting that place to be filled. And I completely agree. Any racetrack strange and any races is weird with no fans, but I just can't imagine the Indy 500 and everything leading up to that and just what that 
the, the history behind that race and how packed IMS gets for the Indianapolis 500, not having fans. So how much say do you, Roger and yourself in the series have about pushing to get fans back? Or is that just based on the city of Indianapolis and, and whether they say yay or nay? Yeah, well, we've obviously, as the series and as, you know, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway with, with, with Doug and his whole team, um, we got to be conscious and good citizens too, right? Good, you know, this is our home. The, you know, the Speedway has been here for over 100 years, that type of thing. So it's, it's very important that we're lined up, and we're very fortunate with uh, Governor Holcomb and Mayor Hogsett here in Indianapolis um, that, we're, that they are in you know, communications with them all the time. I mean, all the time, right? The, the Speedway is a big deal here. It's, it's part of the history of this city and this state. So, um, you know, everybody wants what you just mentioned. Everybody wants fans and wants the Indianapolis 500 to be as close to normal as it possibly can. And, you know, what a cool way, if it is all possible, to kind of relaunch, you know, opening everything back up here in this state and, and you know, in other places in the country if it was at the Indianapolis 500. So, um, you know, certainly, as Roger mentioned, that's the plan. There, you know, it's full speed ahead. Obviously, everything's very fluid, like we just talked about, even with the IndyCar schedule. You know, things could change. Um, but if you look at all the numbers, things are looking, you know, better. It seems like it's, it's more under control. Um, you know, there's certainly going to be places we go that we'll have fans before that. And, um, you know, I, I think as, as long as we remain diligent with our processes that we're going through, um, there's no reason it couldn't be possible. Again, it's just we just got to make sure we're doing what we need to be doing now so we can do what we need to do then. And that's what we're going to do. Well, Jay Fry, we, uh, we appreciate your time for coming on this show. Uh, I'm sure you've had so much on your plate. I look forward to the next race, which will be a doubleheader with NASCAR. So I'll be a part of that running the Xfinity Series race there. So hopefully uh, I'm able to, to see you there. We can yeah. talk a little bit. But most importantly, great job at Texas. Thank you for uh, everything that uh, Oliver you're doing to, to keep pushing the NTT IndyCar Series forward. And uh, look forward to the next one at the Brickyard, IMS, July 4th. Yes, sir. Well, thank you, AJ. Thanks for having me. Look forward to seeing you uh, at the Brickyard. And if there's anything we can do before that, let us know. Sounds good, man. Thank you. Thank you. See you. Well, that just about puts a bow on this package that's known as uh, Brick by Brick, AJ. We kind of all over the place. Talk to the winner, talk to TK, talk to Jay Fry. Um, uh, now I can't wait. It seems like we're going to have to wait like four weeks until Indy. And one of the things that I did find out while we were on the air is Roger Penske has told multiple sources that the Indianapolis 500 will not be run without fans, even if it means changing the date. That's refreshing to know. Yeah, and, you know, in speaking with Jay Fry, that was the biggest point that came to mind for me was asking about whether fans will be there and really how much input they had in that because we want fans back at all these races. Yeah. But I can't imagine the Indianapolis 500 with no fans. It doesn't seem right. The tradition, just walking through Gasoline Alley, you have to have the fans there as a driver. If you missed any of this show or any of our other Brick by Bricks, a quick reminder to all of you, they're all available on the SiriusXM app as well as on Pandora. All you have to do is in the search bar, type in Brick by Brick. I want to remind you to stay right here because coming up next on IndyCar Classics, this week we visit with the racing Swede, Kenny Breck, and relive his 1999 Indy 500 victory for your namesake, AJ, AJ Foyt Racing. Sirius XM's director of sports programming is Andy King. IndyCar Classics producer, 
great job each and every week is Nate Lee. Stay strong and remember that as we battle a pandemic as well as social injustices, together we will prevail. Good night, everyone.